All right, we, we uh, those who are able, we just stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, just in honor of this great gift we have. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about something uh, in line with the church, and my message is really, it's really about the gray matter. Look at someone and say gray matter. First Corinthians chapter eight. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. He's still dealing with the issues they wrote to Paul about. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. Look at someone and say, it's just nothing. And that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote-unquote, gods. Oh, don't do it. Okay. And many lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. Amen. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Amen. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, say it's weak, it's defiled. But food doesn't bring us nearer to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, that's probably how he said it, with all your knowledge, (laughs) all your know-how, all your mental stuff, eating in an idol's temple Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall in sin, I will become a vegetarian so that I will not cause them to fall. Father, help us navigate through how we deal with each other. I pray against all of our judgmental ways. I pray against the rules we place on people that you never placed on them. So, Lord, begin to expose our hearts and teach us today further how to become your church. Let everyone say amen. Amen. You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. We just had a uh, congregational meeting, and it was discussed uh, that over the next three, two weeks, really, up to the 29th, if you have any questions or concerns, we want you to submit them in the suggestion box that's outside in the hallway, specifically concerning how we're structured as a church in terms of our constitution and bylaws, and we will have a follow-up meeting on December 6th. So I wanted everyone to be uh, aware of that. If you did not come to the meeting today, 
Uh, that's one of the things that was discussed. Um, also, on, on the agenda is buying the pastor a new car. We're not going to vote on that today. We will wait until the church grows larger. And never mind. But something fun happened today. People were asking questions. And so in, how many people were in the meeting? There were a lot, and they were talkative and talking up and just had all these questions. So I want you to be in that same vein because I'm here to ask a question. Now, don't be scared. Look at someone and say, don't be scared. We don't do audio, I mean, visual recordings. It's just audio. No one will know it's you. But I wanted to ask this question. Are there things that are just wrong for all Christians? Who's, who, yes, right? Yes? What? Immorality. Okay, Bill, we'll take that. So, uh, anyone else? Don't, come on now. Drunkenness. Lying, stealing, adultery, fighting in wars. No. Oh, because of Veterans Day. I'm just, is it okay to fight in a war? So it's okay to kill people? Wait, is it okay to kill people? I'm just asking. No, yeah. Let's table that one. Let's table that one. Bill said drunkenness. It's, is it okay to have a social drink? Y'all ain't even saved. <laughs> what kind of church you got going on over here, Caleb? So it's so, but if it's okay, how come you look at me funny when I'm at the liquor store? I don't even like y'all. What about smoking? Is that okay? No, because your body is the temple of the living God, and now you're saying, but you can eat whatever you want, right? Now we just meddling. Now you're meddling. Is, is, is it okay to, to have, use birth control? You're... No? Oh, Joanna said, oh, no. Oh, no, Lord. Jesus, no, Jesus. Je- get the surgery. If it's not okay, get the surgery. Please, Lord, not another. We, we were t- joking about it last week because I said, if, if she got pregnant now, it would be worse than if she got pregnant in high school. It would be worse. The shot, it would. How do, who do we, how are we going? I'm just talking right now. So there are s- some, some things that are always wrong for everybody. And maybe if that's one of those things for you, you make it this rule for everyone else, don't we? And then there's some things that we know are right for all people to do, but there's some things that might just seem wrong, but it's not wrong to all. 
there's some things that are just floating there in the gray. And as a church, Paul deals with this, and what he's discussing is how do you handle the gray areas and how do we we relate to other Christians who don't feel the same way we do about everything? That's really what this text is about. And, And when we read 1 Corinthians and you read through this whole thing about meat sacrificed to idols, you could fall into this patch of thinking this is something foreign that does not apply to me. But as I unpack this, I think you will find that this will help us navigate our relationship with one another. How many people know we need help walking through life with other believers, one another? See, Paul, we're still talking about the church. Last week, when we were talking about what you do in your bedroom, we were talking about you functioning in the church. Because when things aren't going right at home, you're not a good churchman. Okay, anyways, all right. This is every Christian's problem. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. How do we follow God in a world that is pagan? How do you find yourself? How do you you stay in the world and not find yourself compromised by the world's values and the world's systems and the lifestyle? And the question Paul is dealing with is this. There is a difference of opinion within the church in Corinth as to whether it is permissible for a Christian to eat meat that had been used in a ritual sacrifice to some random God. See, we, we live in a culture that's kind of baptized in Christianity, okay? We, we don't necessarily, we're, we're kind of in a culture that is living in the aftermath of being very christian the dominant religious force in our country. So there's kind of this religious sentiment that we have when we talk about God. We just almost assume everybody has a God vein or they thought about God or whatever. But what if every time you went to McDonald's, as you ordered your burger, there was the God of Ronald McDonald? And then as you got your burger you would then walk up to that God of Ronald McDonald, put your burger and fries, and you would say, thank you, thank you, oh God of Ronald McDonald that has not only given me this burger and fries, but has made breakfast 24 hours a day. Now I might eat. Or what if every time you went swimming at the municipal pool, you were required to give alms and some sort of, you know, burnt offering over the water to the God of the municipal water pool God. I don't know, whatever God it might be. Or, or maybe you and your family went out of town and you went to a hotel and, and every time you would go to a hotel, you would make a burnt offering to the God of peaceful rest and tranquility. Thank you for this stay at the Holiday Inn, oh great God. And when you leave church today, you stop by Jewel to get your steak. And as you walk in, you see something happening outside. They have this big slaughtering pit. And and they're chopping up that animal. And and they're saying, this old great God of fertility, we thank you for these ribeye steaks that we're cutting up today. And once that is done, you see them cart that steak behind the butcher's counter. And you see the butcher bring the meat in that was just in this ceremony of craziness to this God. I don't know about you, but I would have been one of the brothers like, I'll take the ribeye. 
That's just my, it's just my heart. I can't deny myself. I, and it's on discount too. Because you know, when it went through the ceremony, they dropped the price a little bit. I'm going to take the ribeye. This was the culture that they lived in in Corinth. They were always sacrificing and doing random stuff with gods. But now we've come to find Jesus is the only real God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. How do we now operate? See, you, you would have been invited once in a while to a special meal at the temple. It might have been a simple event with no religious significance at all. Even if you didn't believe in the gods and the goddesses, you would still go to the events in the temple. You know why? Because that was your social life. It would have been like going and hanging out with your friends somewhere at, at some hall or some bowling alley. If you wanted to have a social life, you would go to the temple. And as a Christian, you might have been invited to Joanne's house. And when you walk in there, you know, may, maybe she has a Christian friend. Maybe they were non-Christians. But you would just go, and you best believe they're going to give you some of that discounted meat that was served before those idols. Or even in your own house, you might come home, and you might not realize that your wife bought some of that meat, and now you're eating it at night, and you're wondering what is going on. See, in order for us to really unpack this, we got to start with what was the common ground for all of Corinth. And this is it. Every Christian believed that it was a sin to worship idols. Can we start there? I think every Christian here believes it's a sin to worship idols. All right? Can I get a show of hands? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one, one God. We worship him. Jesus is Lord. But there's so much pagan worship going on around us. The question is this. Is it a sin for a Christian to eat meat that had been offered up in this very pagan ceremony? Now, I'm just going to say, I just, oh, goddess Aphrodite, thank you for this cow that you have given us. And now I have a package of meat. Is it okay for you all to eat it? Who, who says yes? Who says no? Who, who is afraid to raise their hand? This has implications to so much stuff that we do. Oh, don't you, don't, we don't walk around and celebrate Halloween. Do you know the occult? Do you know how this started? Do you know the pagan influences? Do you got a, you got a Christmas tree up in your house? You got a Christmas tree? You pagans? See, see, now we messing with Christmas and your decorations. See how you understand this passage is going to help you understand whether or not it's okay to celebrate Halloween or not. And whether or not it's okay to put a tree in your... See, there's a lot of pagan stuff going on around me. God, help these believers. We need to go back to the Jewish way and just start celebrating the feasts. We would know a lot more about Jesus, that's for sure. Rosh Hashanah, party at my house. Okay. One group walks up and they say, give me the ribeye. This doesn't even matter at all. Just like some of y'all. I'll take the ribeye, Pastor. 
they might have had a pagan background. But they were strong in this real belief that there was but one God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Here's the logic. They felt that those gods that were being sacrificed to weren't real gods at all. They're just, they're just nothing. Those idols are just wood, stone, and metal. We serve the living God who's inside of us. That's nothing. They're not even real. Give me the ribeye. They might go to the temple, but they saw nothing wrong with eating this meat that was sacrificed in this ritual ceremony or serving the meat in their homes. It's just nothing. And their conscience, when they ate that ribeye, their conscience was clear. They might have even felt a little condescension or a little bit superior than those other believers. You still don't eat the ribeyes? Come on, man. Are you? Paul would call those people in the church the strong. Look at someone and say the strong. Your conscience is clear. But then you had a second group of believers there that came to Christ out of a pagan background. And they might have seriously been involved in the worship of idols and all of these various ceremonies that would have surrounded this practice, including the meals at the temple. They might have even walked in with a sacrifice to these gods, and and they would tear up as they were worshiping these gods. And and they would have also accepted that this God of, of the Bible, this is the true God, but And these idols, yeah, we know they're nothing. They could accept it in their minds, but on an emotional level, they had real issues with it. I know the gods are not real, but whenever I eat that meat, Thaddeus, I feel sinful. I feel guilty. Something's not right. And that feeling of guilt would make them feel as though we're sinning against God and they would express it in the church. Why would you bring the ribeye to church? Come on, man. Paul calls them the weak. Now he's not saying you're a weak person. This is just for sake of argument. He says they're, they're weak because when they see something that means nothing, their conscience is not clear. They are sinning before God. Write this down. Something can be very innocent to you, but someone next to you can have a very real problem in their conscience because of their past. You know, at, the, at, at another church, and Joey can testify to this because he was with me on some of these encounters, but I knew a guy that made his living off of gambling. And he was in the church. He was a professional poker player. He won millions, lost millions. Uh, Pastor Bill knows this as well. Um, that's how he made his living. But his wife also was on that roller coaster with him, up and down and however else. And, and this idea of putting it all on the line. Now, I'm completely fine going to a poker game. I don't play poker that much. I'm just, I'm just giving an example. But I'm just talking. Is that okay? You're already judging me. I said one word, and I feel awkward. Y'all so weak. But I would feel totally fine going to a poker game, and everybody says, hey, let's all throw in uh, $5. 
You might win something. You might lose something. I don't know. Whatever it is, it makes it a little, little bit more interesting. And when I come home, I will not even think about it. I, was, oh, I just, just lost five dollars. I don't know. What do you want me? To, what do you want me to do with that? I don't know. You spend five dollars at Starbucks. What's the big deal? It's just a couple bucks. But maybe if you have a problem gambling. And you see good old Pastor Thad put his $5, boom. All of a sudden, that person says, I can't believe these Christian brothers. They don't know the entanglement I was in and the money I've lost and how I've destroyed relationships and how I've messed this up. And they're going to sit there and act like Christians and play for this $5. I'm not going to jump in there and start sinning with them. So some of you all bought lottery tickets today. One of you in particular, I saw you. And when you bought it, you saw me and then you acted like you were buying something else. You didn't see me and I didn't want to come up to you. I mean... This is, this, I'm just talking for real right now. It's so weird, Christians. But see, for one of us, I don't know about you, but when it hits like 150 million, I do go buy one. I hide it, though. And if I see one of y'all in there, I'm dropping it like it's hot. And I'm moving away from it because I don't even, no, 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 no. I'm not a gambler. I'm not at the casino tonight. See what I'm saying? For one person, though, you can buy you a lottery ticket and just once a year, and it's just like, I'm just doing it, because what if I want it? And you talk to your wife, we would go on vacation, we would just buy stuff, and that, whatever, it's just stupid. But for another person, so it could be painful. Or maybe you grew up in a home where your father was an alcoholic, And you had to live with that, and it created all sorts of tension and drama in the home. And whenever you even see a bottle, you just start feeling the sinfulness of it. And you look on Facebook, and sister so-and-so just posted that picture of that mimosa she got at Flavor Restaurant. They need to get saved, and they need to come to Freedom Church, because we don't do that there. We don't sin like those people because for you, your conscience is okay. But for another person, the emotional guilt and the sin of it is overwhelming their whole life. So Paul unpacks this and he gives us a guiding principle. He said, Christians, Christian folk, you always need to let love not Knowledge guide your behavior. See, because when you start, when you get a little more free, when you know a little bit more, knowledge does something funny to all of us. Knowledge doesn't always make us considerate of another person. Knowledge makes you a little haughty. Makes you a little proud. Paul says it puffs up. 
my knowledge puffs me up. But my love builds you up. Do you realize that even your knowledge of God can bring bondage to other people? Your knowledge of God can bring bondage to other people. I I love talking with young Ivory. He's uh, working on his master's degree at Olivet, and he's in seminary. And we start talking. He gets so excited about the information that he's learning. And, oh, what about this? And And there's many people. I see it all the time as a pastor where people take verses out of context. And I know they're doing it. When my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And then I'm always saying, how do we get to take a limited promise that was given to Solomon and apply it to us? And we forget the rest that says, if you serve other gods, I'll uproot you from the land and reject this temple. I've called by my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule. This temple will become a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will say, what has the Lord done to such a thing in this land and to this temple? And he placed that temple, Solomon's temple, under a curse. So I'm going to apply that to me right now. Now, that does say some things about God, though, if we humble ourselves and pray. But don't we always say that about us? I don't want to say that about me. If the curse is applied as well, oh, see, I'm just meddling right now. But if you are praying that prayer from your heart, if if I humble myself and pray and seek your face, God, you will help me from this situation. As a minister who loves you, I need to let you pray that prayer from your heart to God. And not allow a little bit more knowledge about the passage to come and tear you down and make you feel like you're up in bondage. You all hearing what I'm saying? The the motive is love. But quit applying all all the promises don't apply to you. And she shall be with child. That ain't for you. And the virgin will bear a child. That's not, that's not, I mean, I'm just saying, that was for, uh, anyway, all right, okay. I'm doing what I'm saying not to do, but it's for everybody. When, see, when someone says something about a Bible verse you have studied inside and out, you have to give the significance and the context, and you're like a Bible ninja. You know, chop, chop, chop. You didn't get that one right because Jesus, here's what he was doing. Your knowledge of the Bible can stunt the faith of others. I'm preaching good, but they're not with me yet, Caleb. See, in verses 4 through 6, Paul takes the side of those who see nothing wrong with eating meat offered to idols. He's like, this is nothing. This just doesn't even matter. He agrees there's only one God, and an idol is nothing. And he says in verse 8, he said, food doesn't commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do are are we worse. It's, 
It's nothing. There's no religious significance either way. Whether you eat the meat or don't eat the meat, his conscience is not hurt by the meat that was offered to these idols, but he rejects the spirit and the attitude that that they had for their weaker brothers. You know, one uh, pastor, I was reading this uh, devotional, and he was telling the story of one of his congregants And this woman grew up in a small uh, mountain community where the pool hall and the bowling alley were connected. And it was sort of the place where all of the shady people hung out in her mountain community. And she says to her pastor, I hope I don't live long enough to ever see my pastor walking out of a bowling alley. I I didn't know... A bowling alley was a moral issue. I just didn't know that. And some of you all are laughing because you're so strong. But you don't know my past. And see, we can easily let our knowledge create a condescending attitude for other believers. But listen to what I'm saying, church. Your love should take precedence over whatever superior knowledge that you have about anything. It should. Your love for one another should be the high point over your knowledge. And in verse 7, he moves on. He says, however, what is safe for one Christian may not be safe for another Christian because of our different backgrounds, different temperaments, different levels of maturity. We are at Freedom Church. God has created us to have some freedom. Uh, Paul expressed freedom more than any other New Testament writer. Freedom is a part of our life, but here's the principle if you want one. No Christian has the right to exercise their freedom when it undermines the faith of another Christian. You do not have the right to exercise your freedom if it undermines the faith of another Christian. Paul says you're sinning against them and you're sinning against Christ. Your liberty could become a huge stumbling block to me. Be careful. Even if you know that there is nothing wrong with a certain behavior, you're so strong. You have to refrain from that behavior in order to not create problems for the weaker brother or sister. Paul goes as far, he says, if... if, If Joanna is going to stumble because of this ribeye, what? I will become a vegetarian. You see how strong he is in this? I will not. What? For their soul's sake? Man, I won't ever eat meat again. I don't even want, I don't want the meat if someone is going to stumble. So we always have to be concerned about the effect of our conduct on the spiritual life of other people because love is a higher motive than knowledge. It's higher. It's better. So here is what we say, strong people. Why do I got to go around pretending? I'm not a hypocrite. I don't want to go around pretending. Just because someone else is weak, why don't they just get strong? Sure. Why don't y'all get stronger? Yeah, that's a good way. That's not fair. 
The reason it's not fair is because those questions are rooted in your personal liberty and not rooted in love. My rights. What, what about me, God? But see, Paul doesn't leave you there. Now, you might be weak in some areas, and that's fine. It's a part of our history, right? Paul doesn't leave you there. For the weak, he says, now, don't, don't use your issues as a way to manipulate the actions of others and to control other people. Every, everyone heard the letter together, 1 Corinthians. The whole church was gathered, and those people who had a really hard time eating meat, Paul said, that ain't nothing. They, they heard that. It's not like he said it in secret. They heard that Paul, the great apostle that was knocked down on the road to Damascus, that had this spiritual experience abnormally born. I have seen Jesus Christ face to face. This guy says it ain't nothing, this thing that's searing my conscience. Why would you say that, Paul? What they wanted is the same thing you all want. Pastor, you need to walk in there and you need to set those people straight. You need to let them know. that it's always wrong to do that. My pastor. Tell them. They probably expected Paul to say, never, ever would you ever want to eat meat sacrificed to an idol. It's been sacrificed to these God. And there's a paganness, there's a spiritual paganness that's trapped into that ribeye. And if you eat it, it contaminates your soul, and you then flesh out the. That's what they wanted him to say, but he says it's, it's nothing. So to those who are weak, here's the here's what he says. He says if your conscience is guilty over something, make sure that it is based in truth, not just some unfounded fear that you have about ribeyes. If you are weak in an area, you have to also work at growing to understand what is the truthfulness of this. You know you shouldn't be wearing pants in church. See, some we laugh, you laugh, y'all don't get not getting the message. You're not getting the message with your laughter. You wearing pants. Some people still have a little thing about it. I can't wear those pants because when I grew up, and you know this, why are we in a movie theater? Because we know that's not of God. This pagan area where stuff is broadcasted and you all, and some of you all laugh because you're so strong. But somebody struggles with these things. But if you do struggle, say, is there any truth to this? Is there truth to this? Am I judging you out of something I'm just dealing with that God never put as some law? Help me grow stronger in my walk with Christ and who he is. I don't know about you, but at the marriage supper of the lamb, I'm definitely drinking wine with Jesus. I'm talking now. No, Jesus, don't you? What are you doing, Jesus? Are you really going to change water into at a wedding? Jesus, who is See, there is a real freedom and a liberation that we find when we come to know who Jesus is and was and what he has done and conquered in our life. You know, 
if, if we start, I think about the church and, and the tone of even of where things are at in the world, people are, are wrestling with the life and death. Wrestling. Their lives are on the line. You know, all of these petty things fall away when you deal with life and death. Teach us to number our days. See, there are some things that will always be right. The truth, loving our neighbor, ministering to others, worshiping our great God. Those are things that are always right. And some things are always wrong, like stealing from your brother, lying about whatever, unless you're lying because you're saving someone's life. I don't know. Taking another's life. There's some things that we just find wrong, but there are always going to be gray issues in the church. And much of our gray issues have to do with the times that we're living in, don't they? Because the gray issues 100 years ago were different than the gray issues that we might be dealing with right now. There's always a difference of opinion. But if we love one another and we prize the fellowship we have with each other and the fellowship of this church, we won't let our differences become the cause of division. Let the church say amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, how it divides between soul and spirit. God, it's a, it's a sword even in us. I pray, God, now for those who are strong. God, that they would always consider the faith and the journey of the brother or sister next to them. Help us to be careful to not become a stumbling block in the lives of other believers. And let us not allow our knowledge to puff us up. But let love be the deciding factor. And Father, for those who who are of the weak and they're struggling with something, continue to let them be free from those things, God, that have bound them in the past. And allow Christ to bring true freedom that only he can bring. Lord, we thank you for the great gospel where you entered into humanity and you died for us. And by placing our faith in you, we can have eternal life. That is the gospel that is laid out for us. So I pray for those that don't know you, God, that they would come to know you and accept you as Lord in their life. We bless you today, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.